Hey folks, we're almost through the lazy summer. I've let you down over the summer. I mean, I'll take some, I'll give myself a little bit of, a little bit of grace because I did have COVID and I have had like a, a truly rough streak of uh, travel issues and all that, but I am, um, it's been, I mean, the summer has been very fun outside of and comedy's been really fun too but like it's um yeah i mean it's uh, by the way let's i'll start with this i'll start with this folks it's my daughter's birthday today i've been drinking since 11 a.m it's presently what is it uh 9 p.m so 10 hours i've taken a i've slowed it's been a couple hours since i've had a drink but i, I gotta i have a little bit of a residual buzz no doubt and some um, reduced uh, eloquence. My daughter's third birthday. I think that I'm going to be the least successful comedian to decide to take a light month every year. And I think that there's a stretch... Laney, it's my dog's name. You probably can't hear it, but my dog is just absolutely, like, fucking... Oh, she stopped the moment I put the microphone near her. She was absolutely just going down on herself. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be the least successful comedian to do the, like, month off the road, um, certainly not a month not doing comedy, but like a month of, like a planned month, not a, uh, not a, by the way, like there's times when I take a month on a, on accident on occasion or through cancellations and, uh, and travel issues and shit like that. So I'm not trying to take it for granted, but it is nice to have time with the family and there's a thing where you're with uh, with comedy where you kind of always feel um, like I can't pass up an opportunity. For me, I'm a generic straight white dude. I think a decent joke writer, but not an incredible performer, not incredibly good looking. Like you get this feeling where you're like, I got to take every opportunity I can because the chances are so low that I, you know, put that can put together anything that looks like a successful comedy career anything that would be like a financial planner would be like you should do comedy um so yeah i think I, maybe maybe it'll be august maybe it'll be july and and hopefully it won't be uh this podcast won't suffer every year but it is nice. It has been nice to like, I've had a lot of time with my daughter since, when did I get back from uh, Kentucky? That was my last road weekend. I guess it was like middle of July. So yeah, middle of July. And then I'm not on the road again until right now the schedule is middle of September. So that's actually two months, which I will admit is like, feels a little like a little too much. Um, Man, what a what a day though! I uh, I smoked a brisket, and I'm going to tell you all my strategy with brisket. So if you hate this, if you hate the idea of me giving you 
my brisket cooking strategy, which is all just, by the way, it's all just borrowed from the, like the, the most logical, uh, vlogs on the internet. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm none of this is, I don't come from a long line of pit masters. I've just attempted to be good at this thing by learning about it from people who do it every day as much as I can. Uh, but I don't have like a family secret, um, a family secret seasoning, or anything like that. I'm not, uh, yeah, I have none. I have no like ancestral history in barbecue. I do have a dad who was decent at grilling, but I don't think we ever owned a smoker growing up. In fact, I don't know if we ever owned a charcoal grill. Maybe we did, but my, my memories of my dad grilling are all propane grilled, like chicken, like a fryer chicken cut up. Um, yeah. So I do also have a memory of my dad, which is just like a very much my dad's story, which is my cousin who just turned 50, by the way, which is just absolutely disconcerting about life that my cousin, I remember my dad's 40th birthday. And now I have a cousin who is 50, who was a child and used to stay with us uh, for you know a week or so at a time in the summer, and then he ended up, he went to the uh, Culinary Institute in Seattle, the, or the Culinary Program at the Art Institute of Seattle, and he became like a renowned chef, and like eventually he was uh, he was like an instructor at the school, and he's worked at some pretty prestigious restaurants and shit like that. He lived in he was one of these guys that took the like two year trip to Hawaii, and he's by the way, completely estranged from my family. Uh, I haven't seen him in 10 plus years. I really loved him growing up. Like I, he was, I think the most, probably the most like me, but always like at a distance. And, uh, he's a lot older than I am. Yeah, that's right. I'm not 50. I'm in my mid thirties. Um, but so my dad, my cousin is getting like world-class instruction on how to butcher a chicken. Butcher? Is that the right word? Yeah, it's butcher. It's not slaughter. Slaughter is when you kill them and butcher is when you cut, cut them up. So he's getting world-class instruction on how to do this. And he comes to my house and my dad, uh, they get into like a pretty heated argument on how to cut the thigh off of a chicken. I remember this very distinctly. And, uh, it was a very much like a really just exemplifies the best and worst traits of myself and my dad. Um, hang on. We have a, uh, we have a text message. Okay. Um, so my brisket method, again, just borrowed from like, a combination of there's a dude that's uh, Jeremy Yoder that goes his YouTube channel is Mad Scientist Barbecue. I've watched every uh, everything Aaron Franklin has put out about brisket. I've I've uh, except for the master class. I didn't actually watch the master class. I watched um, I've watched Guga is a pretty popular guy. I've watched a lot of people cook brisket on the internet. Hey, my move has been just to, you know, I actually heard of all people, uh, Reverend Run talk about this. 
where he he was talking about religion, but I believe it about a lot of things. And I, I by the way, I actually believe it about politics. And I guess we could talk about an annoying thing that I saw on the internet. Uh, since there's no guest, since I've been letting you down and not having a guest on the old uh, podcast. God, my phone just will. I'm just so fucking popular. Um. So. Uh, God damn it. I gotta, I have this fucking, I'm in this, uh, telegram app. Oh man. Now I'm not going to be able to fuck. I got to wait for another message so that I can mute it for 24 hours. I really just need to throw my phone in the fucking river. Uh, so I'm in a, like a group chat, 15 dude group chat, dicey, my comedy takes have put me on a dicey ground, shaky ground. We got some some left leaning folks in there, which I am too. I'm a left leaning person, but some of these folks are leaning uh, out the car, I think. And um, yeah, we had some we had some interesting discussions. So brisket, what I believe from Reverend Run, he said like basically I'm a Christian, but why not take the best parts of Buddhism and Hinduism, whatever the other ones are, the other isms, Islam, uh, Judaism, you know, why not take the best lessons from all those things? Why would you ignore the lesson? You don't have to necessarily worship the same deity, but like, why not, why not take the best lessons from those? Why would you be, be closed off to something that's good in your life? Because, somebody that you don't agree with 100% said it. So I've tried to be like with, with uh brisket, just take in everything you can try stuff, but also like, let's operate on logic. There's certain things that I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do. Like there's people who, when they cook brisket, they cook it exclusively on like a stick burners, what they call it, like an offset smoker that uses only wood no charcoal no pellets just fucking hardwood and what i know is i don't have time to manage a smoker like that i don't have time to learn to manage a smoker like that and i don't the moment something becomes annoying i know i'm not going to do it anymore so what i own is a master built gravity series 560 which is a uh it's got a charcoal hopper on the side. It is not a pellet grill. I don't have, I've never had food off of a pellet grill that I'm aware of. Pellet grills might be great. My understanding is that the smoke, oh my God, my fucking notification. So I can finally mute this. Oh, I'm muting you motherfuckers for a day. For a whole day, these guys are muted. So what I understand about pellet grills is that the, the smoke flavor can be disappointing. I gotta have, I can't be... I can't have generic shitty barbecue and spend that much time on it. You know what I mean? Like I can't make, I can't make the ceiling be average mediocre barbecue. I don't know what a food is like off of a pellet grill. I'm going off reviews exclusively. I'm sure you could season a brisket and smoke it on a pellet grill and create an edible good product, but What I found is I was about to pull the trigger on a pellet grill. I was about to buy a pellet grill. The one I was going to buy, if you're interested, by the way, because it, it seems to have the like engineering and uh, 
engineering and versatility that would have made it the best option for me was a camp chef woodwind um but didn't buy it i ended up buying i found this master built gravity series 560 i actually talked this is the way that my wife and i do things for my gift giving holidays is uh it was a combination father's day and birthday gift for me and uh we bring this thing into the house set it up or bring it into the garage i set it up it takes their motherfucker to set up and start smoking and that what it is is it's got this like so it's got a charcoal hopper a big tube full of charcoal and then that uh you light the bottom of the charcoal kind of like a uh one of those uh what do you call them like charcoal chimneys a charcoal chimney now this hopper of charcoal can also you can put they say like up to 20 percent of it can be wood chunks and you can also put wood chunks and chips in the area below the flame because this this smoker has a fan that blows onto the uh it blows onto the the flame and sucks air through the flame and it does that when the temperature reduces so kind of like a like one of those fucking weird um pump things for a for a fireplace it under that same under that same logic the same physics where you push air into the fire it becomes hotter and you can yeah there's like a chamber beneath that that catches ash and you can put wood in there and i've bought a couple modifications that uh um that you like there's like a grate now i have like a grate in there so i can set wood on there and i put i just dump wood in there constantly i put a lot of fucking wood in i put uh in that section i put i think i'm probably eventually going to have damaged my uh my smoker oh i'm gonna sneeze have you ever wondered what I sneeze like? Have you ever been like, wow, Casey McClain, great comedian, decent podcaster, mediocre lover? What does he sneeze like, though? You just found out. You just found out, folks. You found out exactly what I sneeze like. Intimate details of my life on this podcast. Um. Okay, so that's that's the smoker that I have. Real hardwood and charcoal. It gets enough smoke flavor for me. And I actually like, uh, in Texas, the most common wood that they use is called post oak. And that's a little bit of a mild smoke. And I think that's actually my favorite. But today I used a lot of hickory because there wasn't post oak available easily around me right now. There's some options, but I didn't buy any. So hickory is also very good. And so... Hickory chunks in uh, and charcoal. I use a B and B oak charcoal, whatever it's like. It's supposed to be the best or some of the best briquettes you can buy. I use briquettes. I started out using lump charcoal, and then I had a massive grease fire that I think part of it might have been caused by this lump charcoal being irregular and shooting a spark off into a into a pool of grease, and so I took every possible variable and brought it back to the most simple form and i have not noticed a negative impact on the uh on the brisket at all meaning 
the there's no off flavors caused by the charcoal as far as I could tell. The the briquettes, they uh they um the briquettes they last longer, they're more consistently sized, you can you can fill more, you can fill the hopper and there's less dead space in there. Anyway, so charcoal, wood chunks, hickory chunks in this case. Uh, another fire prevention measure is I have a, uh, the master built smoker has three tiers in it. On the bottom tier, I put uh, a drip pan. I put two drip pans underneath my meat and then I put a brisket on either the second or the third tier. Um, the only reason I even say the third tier is because this time, this smoke, I discovered that I can do pork butts and brisket if I put the brisket on the top, which means pork butts, in this case, are thicker than brisket, which means the next time I do brisket, I'm smoking two fucking briskets. Because right now, I have no brisket at my house. I smoked this motherfucker for 24 hours, and everybody ate it. It's all gone. Which is good, but also, like... I would like to eat some some tomorrow. Okay, so for the next thing, uh, I and I'm just telling you this because one, I have nothing else to talk about right now, um, except for a political thing that maybe I'll talk about at the end if I decide I feel up for it. Um, I think I'm gonna get my. I've been drinking water. I think I'm switching back to. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna switch back to alcohol, folks. This podcast did it to me. I need one more beer. How many beers have I had today? It's there's a there's like a thing. I'm like a medium level drinker. Like I have a tolerance of someone who probably had a problem drinking history. But I also have the ability to drink in moderation. And so there's a there's a Toby Keith song, which is always a great way to start a drinking conversation. I'm going to talk quietly, too, because the beer that I'm going to drink is on our porch, and it's so goddamn embarrassing to be caught podcasting. It's like jerking yourself off. All right. What are we going to have? What are we going to have? Oh, yeah. Nice. Ice cold Georgetown Bodhisattva. One uh, IPA of the year in like maybe the Great American Beer Festival many years ago. Just a tremendous, tremendous beer from a great Seattle brewery. We have a couple of uh, really great breweries in Washington State in the Seattle Tacoma area. Georgetown's one of them. Uh, they have. We had another beer from them here called uh, Lily IPA, that's very good. And they've Lucille IPA is great. Um, they've got they've had a bunch of great beers over the years, uh, and Bodhisattva is just another one. Thought for a second I might have stopped the recording. I did not. I did not. You got to hear the whole. Oh, now we're gonna hear. This is exciting. This is almost like the nightcap edition. By the way, every week, and I've been pretty devout about this, even when I had COVID, I recorded 
uh, what are called nightcap episodes on my Substack, which you can subscribe to, I think, for $5 a month. It's a great deal. I mean, it's a good deal. Whatever. It's a deal. Every week, like a 20 to 30 minute extra episode where I drink alcohol, talking to a microphone on my own. And uh, this is turning into that. I swear these main feed episodes are going to become more uh, guest driven. I want to have guests on. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start calling them on the phone, which makes really simplifies the scheduling process instead of having. Oh shit! I'm about to. Okay, I'm gonna talk, but the mic is gonna be a long ways away from me because I gotta pour this beer. Odie's off as a beer that you should. Uh, I hope you can still hear me, by the way, but. Ooh, don't, don't spill over. Oh, no, I'm in my, uh, this is not a good pour. Um, I, I gave myself too much head on this beer. <sighs> Bodhisattva is not a beer that you should drink out of the can, in my opinion. I think it, it's one of these beers that loses something if you can't experience the entire aroma. That's right. That's right. Okay. Where was I? Oh, Georgetown's great. If you have a chance to to drink Georgetown beer, you'll I would say everything's like a like an A minus. Every single thing they make is like an A minus, like true to style, and then Bodie's Zaffa, we start to flirt with an A A plus. Uh and they they have some other very very good beers. So Lily IPA we had was a is a very good beer. That's what it sounds like to hear a, an aging man drink an IPA at nine at night. Um, so, the where were we at? Briquettes, hardwood, hickory in this case. I'm a post oak fan also. The rub, baby, the rub. Now this is, this comes from, I started out as one of these guys, these uh, naive fools that thought that great Texas brisket was done with simply salt and pepper. No binder for the meat, just pour salt and pepper on it. And as I've researched, it seems that that is a lie. (laughs) And it might... (coughs) It might even be a lie that's meant to, like, um, like a, what are they misdirect the people who might might decide that they want to make brisket, or the people that might be prospective customers at um, at the the most famous barbecue places in Texas. So it's like a Aaron Franklin, who's maybe the most famous pitmaster uh in the world or at least in texas he um he claims on videos and stuff like that that he uses just just uh salt and pepper for his brisket and then it's just salt pepper and an oak and love and that love is doing a lot of the fucking legwork to make his brisket so incredible uh what i've since read and seen on videos is that a pretty commonly apparently a like a poorly kept secret in texas is that none of those places are using just salt and pepper or none of the successful ones they're using uh lowry seasoning salt as an ingredient in many cases uh garlic powder stuff like that 
And there's this dude, I believe his name is John Lewis, that now is the owner of La Barbecue in Austin, Texas, who used to work at Franklin Barbecue. And he said, one, when I worked at Franklin, I never used just salt and pepper. He can't because of, presumably because of non-disclosure agreements, he can't out what their actual seasoning blend is. But also, he basically open sourced his own rub, which is he said, I use, it's uh, eight parts black pepper, three parts kosher salt, three parts Lowry's, and one part uh, garlic pepper or garlic powder. That's the... That's the ratio that John Lewis uses, and he uses uh, mustard, um, a combination of mustard and pickle juice to get this rub to stick to his brisket. And so I don't, I don't fuck with the pickle juice, but I use I use that exact ratio of rub. Uh, I use mustard because it's. But by the way, it sounds weird to use mustard on a brisket. It all burns off. You don't taste any of it. I've never been able to tell the difference between a brisket that had mustard versus olive oil versus uh versus nothing it's just probably the the one thing that i think mustard does is probably allows you to use your seasoning more efficiently because more of it sticks the a higher percentage of what comes out of your whatever vessel you're using to deliver your seasoning a higher percentage sticks to the brisket so uh the rub black pepper Kosher salt, Lowry's, granulated garlic, garlic powder, whatever. Whatever. Uh, this time, one of the things that I did differently, and I should, let's, let's, I don't know if I said this on the podcast already, but today's brisket was the best brisket I've ever made, I believe. Um, so, one thing that I did was I uh, seasoned it the night before, which was actually done for the you to to best use my time and not really as like a a uh, culinary choice but it's something that some people do they do season their briskets a day before and so I seasoned it a day before um throw it on the smoker and then the other thing that I did is I allowed this thing to really develop a uh bark I was cooking pork butts along with it, and I know for my taste, pork butts need a little more time to become really great. And so I, uh, I, yeah, I just allowed I allowed the brisket to sit longer without getting wrapped and losing its ability to take on smoke flavor because it was wrapped in butcher paper. Mm. That's another thing. If you're out there listening, uh. I would say the num. This is boy. This is gonna be corny, but the number one ingredient that separates my in my experience a really good smoked piece of meat and a mediocre to disappointing smoked piece of meat. The number one ingredient is time and patience. Those are two ingredients, I think, technically. And in fact, technically, they're not ingredients at all because they're not a physical fucking thing. But Time and patience. So, like, I remember the first time I tried to make pulled pork, I cooked it to 185, which is too low. It's too low for pulled pork. 
pulled pork, you want it to be 200, 205, something like that. It, it, meat has a weird thing, uh, especially the, the cuts that are classic for barbecue, where it goes from being like tender to tough to back to tender. It's the, 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 um, collagen breakdown, I believe is what, what they attributed to in most cases. So I, I, uh, Anyway, there's another thing that happens in barbecue that causes people to be impatient, and it's called the stall. And I, I've i read a couple different things that are like supposedly scientific explanations of this. I don't know which one to believe, but basically what happens is that at 165-ish degrees, a large piece of meat, a brisket, a pork butt, um, uh, beef ribs... A huge chunk of meat, for some reason, around that temperature will start to will slow down. the The cooking will slow down to the point where you might get from zero to one sixty five in like three hours, and then one sixty five to one sixty six might be an additional three hours, and then at some point, there's everything I've read is like it seems there's like some type of moisture redistribution going on. And so the coolest, the coolest uh, moisture inside of this piece of meat is constantly trying to, it's trying to like, I don't know, it's, I guess go out? So it's, I don't know. Apparently this is why, I don't know if that's the actual reason, but this is why it's difficult to push through that stall. It happens, but you, got, you need to have patience. And so what sometimes people will do is in that stall, they will wrap the piece of meat in foil or in butcher paper or whatever uh foil creates the a little bit of my experience creates uh, a bark that is is too soft that's too um it's not it does not taste or feel like bark in my opinion it almost steams the bark away i use butcher paper and uh, I think I think it's like a little more porous. This is my understanding. It's a little more porous, so it's dry when it needs to be dry. Uh, yeah. So you reach the stall. I this time I ended up wrapping around 175 degrees, and then I came in and uh, I have a strategy that I use that we'll talk about. Um, but I this is another thing Jeremy Yoder discovered, and if you watch like. There's some pretty good videos from inside of Franklin Barbecue, but it's it's pretty obvious, I think, that these barbecue places are using some type of fat, uh, some type of rendered fat, already rendered fat, to kind of subsidize the moistness of a brisket. And so what this Jeremy Yoder dude from Mad Scientist Barbecue, by the way, you're a trooper if you've stuck it out. I've been talking about barbecue for like 20 fucking minutes now, and I'm going to keep going. So what he discovered is that if you, at the time when you wrap your brisket, it seems that the folks at Franklin Barbecue and many of these other barbecue places are um, at that time they are adding more fat. So I use uh, South Chicago Packings Wagyu beef tallow. You spread it on your butcher paper. You bring your brisket in. 
I set the non-fatty side down on it because my belief, and right or wrong, is that uh, that side needs the fat where the side that has a big fat cap on it doesn't. I've never done it the other way to know if that's better. I put that fucking layer of fat, and it's a big layer. It's like the width of a brisket and like spread on thicker than you would spread on mayonnaise as a white person. Um, and then I use what I typically do at that point because it makes smoking for me sustainable, not financially, but, uh, and not environmentally, but like my own level of frustration and annoyance and anxiety also. But, uh, I put it in the oven once it's wrapped up, it's not getting a lot of smoke flavor, if any. There's some people that think it gets a little bit more. I don't think so. Personally, I don't think it gets any more after you you wrap your brisket. So I wrap it in butcher paper, throw it in the oven, and the, your oven is so much more efficient than your smoker at heating a piece of meat. And it blasts at that point. I mean, it's still like a couple hours, but it gets up to... Uh, I'm a 203 man. I run I run a brisket to 203 and then start poking it for probe tenderness. I might be able to get get away with going back going down to like 200, but um at that point put it in the oven somewhere between 275 and 350 depending on what time of the day it is and how much it's affecting my ability to go to sleep. Then uh, once it reaches 203, I have a thermometer in it that whole time. Once it reaches 203, I pull it out. I let it sit for an hour and I turn off the oven. The idea being the oven will get down to, you know, maybe it's not down to room temperature, but it's like 120 degrees, 150 degrees. And my brisket is 203 degrees. And then I set my oven for the lowest setting. And I don't remember where I actually discovered this, but it's definitely not my own. So another thing that brisket or uh, that barbecue places have is they use these warming ovens that are just packed with brisket. So the reason they have enough brisket for you is because they hold this at a, a uh, temperature that's somewhere between 140, which is the danger zone in food safety terms and 203 or whatever their finishing temperature is probably most of these places are holding a brisket at like 145 which is also a temperature by the way where the brisket redistributes its moisture and you're able to cut it basically i think fresh out of the oven you're able to cut it fresh out of the, the holding oven um so i set my oven to its lowest setting which is 170 degrees and it holds 170. It really just needs to be below 203. I'm sure that there are differences in 145 compared to 170. But from in my experience, hold it at 170. And then you can let that thing sit in there at 170 for 10, 12 hours. At that point, you pull it out and you uh, you should have yourself quite a brisket. Like I said, I pulled it off this time at like 175, had this beautiful bark on it. I'll, I I posted pictures on Twitter and I'll probably have some on Instagram by the time you, uh, by the time you hear this. And I, uh, yeah, in the morning, 
it's really nice to wake up to brisket smell in the morning you have this brisket that's basically just you get to decide one of the things about barbecue is it's so inexact every piece of meat is different every piece of wood is different that uh you don't have a lot of control over like when it finishes. And by doing this holding oven technique, you get some control back on that because you've cooked your brisket all the way to completion. And now you get to pull it out. And I usually let it rest for like two hours after I pull it out before I cut it because they don't want to lose a bunch of moisture. And I cut the shit or I cut it at two at a uh, two hours. And yeah, the way you do it, the way I do it is you slice against the grain, which is, I'm not the first one to say that. Slice against the grain. And yeah, about the the midpoint of the brisket, you cut that cut that last piece off or you cut it in half before and then you've separated largely separated the what's called the point from the flat. The flat on a brisket is the part that's the flattest. It's the lowest to the table. And then the point is that thicker part on the back end. If you imagine a brisket as like a, um, boy, did I think I was going to have like a really good analogy there. And I just have nothing. I just have alcohol. That's all I have. It's just alcohol in my brain. Anyway, low point called the flat. Other point is called the point. Uh, the flat I've heard compared to sirloin steak and the Point is compared to ribeye. I tend to agree with that. I like the point a lot more. Also, the point has the kick-ass uh, burnt ends that will always have way more. Um, wait, I got a chick. Did I just hear my daughter shift? Was there a shift? She's okay. That's the sound that my uh, camera system makes. So anyway, um, yeah, you, you just get a lot more flexibility and you can time your meals out a little more, uh, logically and you don't have to be the other nice thing is if you're the way I'm tired, if you're the one cooking the brisket, a lot of times if you eat it the same day as you cook it, you're, you're senses are all blown out with smoke so you're not tasting smoke fully you're not smelling it fully because you've been standing in smoke and so the next day you get like a little bit of a a buffer you get to you're wearing clothes that haven't been haven't been sitting in the smoker in the smoke for ever and that's good um so anyway I did that. That's the that's the way that I do it. That is the way that I cook a brisket. And the reason that I bring that up is because I did it today and I did it very fucking well. I live in uh I live in Tacoma, Washington. It was my daughter's third birthday. We've been over this earlier in the podcast, but our plan was to have the party be at 11 or at a 3 a 3 p.m 3 a.m 3 p.m we'd get our daughter a nap in she'd be in a good mood all the friends that are coming over they'd have had their naps and they'd be in a good mood what happened instead is 
there's a thing that goes on in Tacoma now, or went on once, called Porch Fest. And it's basically throughout Tacoma, there's these uh, various stops, including there were like 20 bands that played. And one of them played very close to my house. And so one of the one thing was we didn't want people to have to fight parking. So we started at 11 a.m. And also, these bands were fucking loud. There ended up being three bands, which two of them I don't think were scheduled. Um, but a very cool thing happened. And my buddy Josh Firestein hooked this up. Uh, the There was a band doing a sound check. And they were playing... Um, playing music and shit in between like over the speakers so that they could have the speakers you know active they knew they were on but they were playing music instead of being you know sitting dormant or whatever and then my foot my buddy josh firestein went over and asked hey could you guys sing happy birthday that would be so cool if you sung happy birthday and they did it they sung happy birthday so my daughter got a live band to sing happy birthday to her it was very cool um I am exhausted. These things are, are hard work. If you are ever, my sister's planning a wedding right now, and it's like a pretty good analogy for it, but when you're getting married or when you're planning a big party, or if you're, more importantly probably, if you're going to a big party and somebody's planning it, just know that they are putting in so much work to make it good. And... Your little, like, shitty complaint, especially at a wedding, by the way, where they're paying, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars to get married and to have you there. And you, to them, each each person ends up costing, like, it's like a, like a variable cost. So each person costs a little bit more. The food, the drinks, the whatever. Um, so remember that. Remember that not only... Did they pay extra for you? They did pay extra for you, almost certainly. But also, uh, they've been planning this thing for fucking ever. And it's an event that they care about so much. So much of their emotions are tied to it. This is true of weddings and birthday parties like this. And uh, if something fucks up, they're going to be upset about it. You don't need to tell them. You don't need to be a dick about it either. Anyway, uh, okay. I don't know why. I just wanted to talk about the brisket because it was so good and I'm so excited to be getting better at it because I, when I went to Texas uh, earlier this year to Austin, I had Terry Black's um, barbecue house, whatever, that's in Austin and it's very good. And I, um, <laughs> I, uh, When I had it, it was good, but I spent about $60 and it made me more than anything feel good about the brisket that I have, that I make. Cause I think I'm getting pretty goddamn close to like Texas barbecue quality on a brisket. All right. The last thing, um, no, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about politics too fun of a day to ruin it with politics uh you know fuck the irs that's what i'd say fuck the irs fuck the uh the tax system and not on some libertarian bullshit but on the fact that 
everything that they do that the United States government does, Republican or Democrat, it doesn't fucking matter. Everything they do with the IRS, everything they do with the tax structure fucks poor people and helps rich people. And by the way, as a comedian and a person with a decent income, I'm speaking against my own best interests. They fuck people. And only my own best interests in that I would probably have my taxes raised in a more equitable tax system. But also, it would benefit us all to have either more money available for projects. By the way, I don't trust the government to spend the money well. But uh, either more money or either more money in our government, meaning these corporations and wealthy people whose effective tax rate is very low, um, having them pay like what most people would believe is their fair share. Also, by the way, I don't think most of these people are criminals that are lying to the tax man. I think they just, they've structured their lives. I'll tell you this, like I write off a shitload of stuff for comedy because I'm an independent contractor that gets a, a 10, oh, excuse me, a 1099 from multiple locations. That's right, mom. 1099 from multiple locations. I'm not a failure at comedy. I do have the hiccups right now. I don't know if a podcast is going to be a good place to try to get rid of them, but I'm going to. I'm going to try. Fuck it. We're talking about politics. Robert, I think, think, oh my God, I think his name is Robert Reich. He, um, what do you tweet? Let's see if I, uh, I've had a brief window of arguing. Ooh, I do have. Okay. Here's what he, he tweeted. Beefing up IRS enforcement is good, actually. Collecting all unpaid federal income taxes from the richest 1% would generate an estimated 175 or one sorry 1.75 trillion over a decade now that's that might be true but i i don't know that i'm sure he's using the effective tax rate thing and the problem with this idea that having more irs auditors and enforcement is going to affect the country positively because the richest 1% is going to generate an estimated hundreds. This is the thing. Those motherfuckers aren't going on TurboTax and cheating the system. They have tax attorneys who know exactly how to deal with that. And by the way, tax attorneys, tax people, historically very risk averse. These motherfuckers are not taking risks on million. Like, what I'm saying is, is I don't think there's very many rich people that are cheating the system. I think what they have discovered are way places that they can take advantage of the system. And I'll tell you this: I don't know what you expect out of people because I, when I do my taxes, I'll get aggressive with some write-offs. Because when you have a fucking business or when you're an independent contractor, your ability to write shit off is enormous and it's even more pronounced with companies and they owe it to their shareholders and to their employees to do everything they can to keep the company solvent as long as possible is it solvent is it insolvent to keep the company viable as long as possible and so i'm not 
I don't believe that there's just rampant tax cheating by rich people. And I think if you think that rich people have a fucking moral imperative to give to not give the government more money that they don't legally have to give them, I also think you're wrong. And I think it's it's completely unrealistic to expect that to be the standard, that everybody just voluntarily starts handing over more money because it's the quote-unquote right thing to do. That's a non-starter of a, fucking, of a fucking policy. The idea that people should just voluntarily do that. We have a system that allows people to exploit parts of it. We have a system where the the tax code is incredibly complex and becomes more complex the more money you make, the more money you gross anyway. And they, these folks have the resources to have tax attorneys, to have business managers, to have accountants, to have people who are making sure that they don't break tax laws, that they do everything and squeeze every cent within the framework of tax laws. But that's not some fucking dude at H&R Block, okay? That's not you on fucking Tax Slayer trying to figure out how to how to fucking deduct your child care. This is these are people with fucking unlimited resources who are going to fight against an auditor. And that's why I mean, maybe it's not a direct correlation, but Middle class and poor people are way more likely to get audited despite the impact of those audits invariably being less than a, the like auditing a very rich person. But a rich person is going to have a legal team and fucking a more sophisticated tax uh, uh, like structure in their life, infrastructure in their life. They'll have, an account, like I said, an accountant, a fucking whatever. Accountants and lawyers. That's what they have. That's what they have that other people don't have. So the enforcement of tax laws is the increased enforcement is almost certainly only going to impact or is at least, if not only, is disproportionately going to impact poor people, minorities that are poor. It's all, it's all poor people, but, you know, black folks are more likely to be poor statistically. So it's disproportionate. Like, what Robert Reich is saying is, let's find a new way to penalize poor people, in my opinion. Let's find a new way to penalize black people. I heard a really interesting argument against the seatbelt laws. Now, on its surface... Should the law be to wear a seatbelt? Yes. Or let, let's actually rephrase that. Should you wear a seatbelt? Obviously. They save lives. They absolutely do. They also probably take some other lives, like any like any of these things. If you if you run these through enough enough cases, eventually you're gonna find but they save, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions, of lives that might have been lost with no seatbelts. In the several decades since that law uh, came into place. But the best argument, I think, against it is that it's oftentimes the seatbelt thing 
is the precursor to a police stop. And a police stop may be a precursor to uh, an unlawful search and seizure. Again, in this in the this circumstance, we're talking about someone who doesn't have a built-in attorney, who doesn't have someone necessarily advising them if they get arrested or if they get uh, pulled over to not to not say something incriminating. Maybe don't don't understand what all is incriminating. Also, maybe are living in a fucking life of crime because they don't have any money because they come from a lower socioeconomic class than the type of motherfucker who is the highest 1% of wealth, okay? And so uh, you can't, you're not going to get the results you want without changing the system. That's my opinion. You're not going to get the results you want without changing the system. And this type of shit, this, this Robert Reich, like, it's actually good to add to the IRS. It's actually really good to do this is you got to call a spade a spade. You got to fucking be willing to like me and Robert Reich probably vote for the same people, but this is bullshit. This is ex this exclusively very likely not exclusively all these absolutes. This will disproportionately help rich people and hurt poor people. And Robert Reich should know that. And if he does know that and he's saying this to, to exercise his bias towards like reducing the uh, loss of influence from the Democrats in the midterm election, it's fucking despicable. This man's supposed to be a journalist, I think. I don't even know. Berkeley professor. Former, no, I guess you're not a journalist. I guess you're not. I guess you're just some fucking dickhead who used to be the Secretary of Labor. Robert Reich, your fucking tweet stinks and you're wrong about taxes. And I hope, I hope a dude like this is not truly like an amoral psychopath who's just trying to get as much influence as he can. Because this all just turns into my team believes this, my team wants this policy. I'm not going to think about it or look at it. That's just what I support, and I fucking hate that. All right. Happy birthday to my daughter. Thank you all. She's a huge listener, big-time listener, three years old. We're starting her early. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Follow me at the Casey McLean. Check out Road Hacks on YouTube. Check out the Baby Weight EP on YouTube. I love you. Bye.